right. I, ooh, hello. I, uh, I feel like we could just stop right there, and it would be just a fantastic week. Um, I really believe God has spoken to us in, in a very real way. And um, Man, there's more. How about that? Um, yeah, so, John, can you turn me down a little? Thanks. A little echoey. Hey, what's up? Yeah. All right, so uh, this morning what I want to do, uh, first and foremost, we're going to dig into the Word. Uh, surprisingly, this is actually Palm Sunday, which, if you don't know what that means, it's just a fancy way of saying it's the week before Easter. Um, that, this week, early on, I was like, oh, uh, it's the week before Easter. Holy cow, this is, this is pretty incredible. It's, it's gone by so fast, I think, this whole year, uh, throughout the month of January, February, March, and April is right here. It's like right there, you know? And so I was just kind of amazed and shocked uh, that we have gotten to that point so far. Um, but we're going to dig into the book of Mark this morning. Uh, I titled this message, Which Kingdom? Because if you actually look through the story in both Mark 11 and then Mark 15, you see uh, a bit of a parallel happening between those two stories. It's It's the story of Palm Sunday and Jesus' triumphal entry into uh, the city of Jerusalem. And so I really just want to start there and just set the stage for ultimately what happens in the week of Easter. So uh, let's take a look. Mark chapter 11, verses 1 through 10. And by the way, if if you don't have uh, a Bible, we actually have them uh, for free available to you. So if you need one, just shoot your hand up. We have ushers that are going to be around we can just hand them out. Don't add it to the collection if you've got like 70 of them though. So that's what I just ask. Like, hey, like, oh, sweet, it's a new cover design. Awesome. Like, no, that's not the goal of this. The goal is ultimately to get the Word of God into people's hands who don't have one. So if you need one, uh, we have them at our resources and events table over here. Uh, or you could just raise your hand and we'll get one, uh, get one to you. So let's open up to Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11. And we're going to start right in verse 1. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord has need of it, and will send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at the door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to him, What are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said. And they let them go. Fancy that. It's amazing, right? God's words have power. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. This section of verses is often called the triumphal entry because it represents the first time that Jesus is coming into the city of Jerusalem. 
And you see the people, the response of the people. In fact, the whole story preceding that where the disciples go to untie a colt that had never been ridden, that was actually a prophecy that was made in Zechariah 9.9. The prophecy made in Zechariah 9.9 says exactly that the Messiah is going to enter into the city of Jerusalem riding on a colt, riding on a donkey that no one had ever ridden on before. So that was a direct fulfillment of that prophecy happening right there roughly 400 years prior. It's amazing when you look at the history of it. So that happens. Then as he enters into the city, the people, they line up into the city gates and they're laying out trees, cloaks, all the things on the ground, basically uh, allowing or saying, Hosanna, save us. That word Hosanna means save us, desperately save us. We're in need of it. I beg you to save. Please deliver us. That's what the people are shouting to Jesus as he's entering in. The amazing thing, or the question I have to ask you is, to save you from whom? Right? The people are shouting, save us, please deliver us. Who do they want deliverance from? Well, at that time, the Roman Empire had its clasp, its, its arms strongly clasped around that region of the world. Around the nation of Israel, around Palestine, in that region. So the people were shouting, save us. You're the king of the Jews. Come, save us. Release us from this oppression that the Romans have given to us. So you have to understand, what their perspective, it was a very earthly perspective. They were looking at the rulers of that time. And they said, okay, this is an oppressive government. Jesus is going to come. He's going to overthrow the government. Here it comes. Yes, save us. Desperately save us. Fast forward less than one week. We're going to jump to Mark 15 now. Mark 15, verse 6 through 15. And notice, uh, when we read through these verses, just notice uh, Pontius Pilate was the Roman governor in that uh, region who was responsible ultimately for determining who was guilty of crimes and the punishment, essentially rendering the punishment to them. So let's take a look. Mark chapter 15. Now at the feast he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. Among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. So a little backstory: There was an uprising that had happened. Barabbas had committed murder, multiple murders. He wasn't just a, a dude who committed murders. He committed multiple murders in an insurrection. He was basically trying to overthrow uh, the Roman government. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? Remember, Pilate's using the terminology that the the people are familiar with. It's terminology the people are familiar with. The king of the Jews. He doesn't say Jesus. He says the king of the Jews. For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priest had delivered him up. The chief priest stirred up in the crowd to have him released for them Barabbas instead. Pilate again said to them, Then what shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? And they crowd out again, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Crucify him! So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus... He delivered him to be crucified. So then one week, just one week, 
Less than one week, people's cries and chants for Hosanna, please deliver us, save us from this oppression, they turned to crucify him. I mean, that's like the, the fickleness of people is just totally on display right here. You see it just in a moment how quickly people's opinions can change, how quickly their perspective changes. The cries of the people to rescue them from the hands of Roman oppression were then crying out for Jesus to be the subject of Roman oppression, right? Crucifixion, it was the most brutal form of punishment and is still considered to this day one of the most brutal forms of punishment and death ever to be on the face of the earth. The thing about crucifixion you have to understand is it was a very public display. When they walked down to go on the hill of Golgotha, it was overlooking, the whole city was overlooking this small hill. And it was a constant reminder of the people that, hey, the Romans, they have total control over your destiny. They can do whatever they want to your, your life, and they ultimately have control over the very moment you die. That was what the message was. You have no control. You have no right. We have total authority over you. And we'll get into the, uh, uh, the change. The crucifixion is not the end of the story, of course. Three days later, Jesus rose again, triumphant over death, over sin, in his glorified state. So why? why? Why was their perspective so skewed? Why early on they were shouting for one thing, but then it changed in a heartbeat? And the real, when you look at the story, the reality of it is that they were focused on the kingdom of man. You notice, even looking back, take a look back at the verse uh, here in, uh, what is it? Verse 10, Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Right? Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. What were they shouting for? What do they want? They wanted, ultimately, to have a new rulership, a new kingship, an earthly king to take the reins. And when Jesus didn't deliver, get him out of here. We don't want him. He's not worth it. Their perspective was here. Christ's perspective was, no, it's bigger. It's much bigger than that. It's much bigger. Now the truth is that we oftentimes have a tendency to have this perception. Right? Uh, Let me give you a specific example. I... uh, this can be maybe construed as controversial, but I'll tell you anyway. Um, I am on Facebook. Yeah, come on. Like, we love controversy here, so let's bring it. Um, I'm on Facebook as part of a politics group. Oh, man, here we go, right? Uh, I moderate, actually, in the group and start conversations with people about various political things that are happening at the time. And the reason why I do it, it's not to inject my position. It's not to follow a specific side, whether it's left, right, liberal, conservative, whether it's libertarian, socialist, whether it's Republican or Democrat, it's none of that. The reason why I do that is ultimately so I can see the issues and look at it, okay, what does God's word have to say about this particular issue? What does God's word have to say? So I thoroughly look, okay, like this specific issue, let's see what God has to say about it. Okay, hey, what do you guys think about this? And probing, right? So my mentality isn't just go into it and 
I'm picking a side. And really, I mean, when you think about it, politics nowadays is so split. I mean, it's like, you know, online, like, I don't know if you guys know, but Facebook is like brutal. Like, people say stuff to each other that they would never say in person. Like, fact of life, go to a YouTube video and just look at the comments, right? I'm guessing that Hitler probably comes up at some point. Like, any video, it doesn't matter what it is. There's like, there's just this desire for people to, like, get nasty with each other for some reason. I don't know. I think the funny thing is, though, it's like, for me, I, I see the course most of, and again, I'm speaking about the United States here, so keep that in mind, but the United States, like, there's been, like, violent political arguments happening forever. It's not like it's a new thing. Uh, I was just reading this morning that back in 18, or, uh, 1798, so the very, very first Congress, one of the very earliest Congresses, there was like a 30-person brawl fist fight happening like in the House of Representatives. And yeah, like it was over some ridiculous issue. Apparently like one dude who was a representative in Connecticut like uh, decided like, hey, I'm going to spit on this guy. And then the other guy showed up like a week later and took his cane to him and started beating him in the legs. And then the other dog, I mean, it was like, dude, like full-on 30-person brawl, you know, like, oh my gosh. So um, I think people get this picture of, like, the founding father, like, they're so noble, right? They're just, like, <laughs> they speak, like, so eloquently in their language. It's like, dude, they were just regular people like us, you know? They had issues. They fought back and forth. It's not like, anyway, that's an aside. <laughs> but I want to I be very clear that my goal, and this is, this is the reality, too, when, when you look at the kingdom of God, when you look at what Jesus ultimately did, Back in that time, there were two opposing groups at the same time. There were the Zealots, who wanted to overthrow the Roman government, and then there were Herodians. They were in support of the Roman government. There were exactly the same thing happening back then, 2,000 years ago, that we have today. And when you look at the, the history of it, they were constantly trying to get Jesus to take sides. They were constantly trying to do it. And the thing is, he never took sides, because it was about his side. Do you want to be on the side of God? It's not about left, right. It's not about any side that you're taking or going on. Ultimately, do you want to have a perspective, a godly perspective, a kingdom perspective? Do you want that? That's ultimately what it came down to. So jump over to uh, Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. This is some, something that's so critical for us to understand because for many of us, many of us who are following Christ, we still need to go through the process daily of renewing our mind, right? We need to constantly be in that process. Take a look at Colossians chapter 1. It says, For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear Son, who purchased our freedom and forgave our sin. I don't know if you caught that, but what does it say? It's a transference happening, right? You were once a citizen of darkness, a citizen of hell, but now you're a citizen of heaven. Your citizenship has changed. You've been transferred. You're no longer here. You're here. And the problem is, is that our mind is still over here. We're still thinking about the earth. Okay, like here, there are problems, okay? I'm not saying we shouldn't try to solve problems, but we need to be bringing a kingdom, a godly perspective into these problems. We cannot be solving problems through worldly solutions. It's impossible. Ultimately, we need God to capture the hearts of people and change it. That's the only way. That is the only way. And I think the biggest problem that we as Christians face today is, 
is changing the way that we view and perceive the world to be first about Christ and everything else needs to be last. First is Christ and everything else needs to be last. So seeking the kingdom, it requires a renewing of our mind. I mentioned that just a moment ago. So again, uh, example, I, I think a lot of times in our culture what's emphasized is the speed by which you respond to people, right? You know what you're talking about if you're quick, right? Our culture is so fast-paced. Everything has to happen so quickly, right? So you know exactly what's, what's going on. If you respond quickly, you're, you're an intelligent person, right? And that's not the truth. I don't want to just respond quickly because I know it's probably going to come out of myself. I don't want to come out. I, I don't want that to happen. I don't want my solutions to be coming out of myself. So we need to renew our minds. Take a look at Romans 12, 2. Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Do not be conformed, but be transformed. That transformation happens. God is transforming us from the inside out. That transformation isn't something that happens as a result of us. It's our responsibility to renew our mind. God does the transformation. I don't know if you caught that in the, in the verse. God is the one who does the transformation. We're to renew our minds. We're to pursue the kingdom. We're to pursue what God has for us. So what are some of the ways we can renew our mind? Real simple, get in the word, right? I need to know the source of truth. I need to understand it. I need to comprehend it. I need to study it. I need to know what God is saying, what his will is. The only way to do that is to get into the word. That's the only way to do it. We need to be in prayer, right? God, what is it? This is what I'm feeling right now. This is what I'm thinking, God. Give me your perspective. I need to hear from you. I need to understand what your will is. Jump over to uh, Romans 14, just two chapters later. Romans 14, 70, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Right? The kingdom of God... And that term is thrown around so much. What is the kingdom of God? It's the rule and reign of God that's coming from the throne of God. Ultimately, it's God bringing heaven here to earth. It's the reality of God bringing heaven here to earth. Uh, there's a, a, a line, uh, one of our friends, Dennis Peacock, he has a definition of heaven that I really love, and I think it's so true that we, even if you think about heaven in, in a different light, it changes the way that you even live, Right? Heaven is the place of rising up and bursting forth without restraint. That's what heaven is. Heaven's not a place that we go when we die. It's a place of rising up and bursting forth without restraint. And that happens right now. That can happen right now with each and every one of us. How cool is that? That I can live in that reality. I can bring that to other people. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy Notice that verse. Righteousness, peace, and joy. Those aren't the things that I'm fabricating. Okay? Those are byproducts. That's the fruit. That's the thing that is ultimately resulting in what? The end of that verse. In the Holy Spirit. In the Holy Spirit. So transformation, transformation ultimately comes from the Holy Spirit. 
that I experience righteousness, peace, and joy when I have the Holy Spirit, when I'm living in the Spirit. Does that make sense? Do you follow? When I'm pursuing the Spirit. So the question I ask you is this, which kingdom? Are you like the people who cried for a Savior but didn't want to renew your mind? One week later, they crucify him. They chant the opposite. When you view political issues, are you trying to find solutions? Or, you know, do you view the Constitution as on par with the Bible, right? With God's Word? Like, listen, I'm not against the Constitution. I'm going to tell you that right now in the United States. I'm not against it. But sometimes we get wrapped up in these silly arguments where we put that above God's Word. And we need to stop it. We need to. So do you think about biblical issues, issues biblically first? When trying to understand very real and complex issues of economics on a national level, do you look to your own opinions first or to God? What does God have to say about economics? What does God have to say about debt and living debt-free? I'm so excited that we're going to have a chance to go through financial peace here starting this week because Dave Ramsey just brings such a biblical perspective on how to live financially free. I mean, really, I think that's, we've talked about this over the last month of how finances is just the, one of the top things that people struggle with. And ultimately, God wants to give us a sense of freedom in that. So what do we need to do? God, we need to pray regularly. God, I need your perspective. I need your insight. I need your clarity. I need your truth. I don't want it to come from me. God, I want you to renew my mind. God, I long for those things. So God, this morning, I thank you that you've spoken to us very clearly. God, I pray that over the course of this next week, God, that you would do a work inside of us. God, that you would renew our mind. God, I pray that you would just awaken a hunger and a thirst to dig into your word. God, to dig into uh, the, the reality that you have for us, God. That we wouldn't be living as citizens of darkness. God, we'd be living as citizens of the kingdom. God, I thank you for all that you have for us and for how clearly you spoke this morning. In your name, amen.